Welcome to Retrofitted. I'm Rebecca Godlove. This episode contains historically accurate details about the founding of the Americas by European settlers. If this is something that is uncomfortable for you, I do ask that you skip this episode. P.S. I'm not a fan of Christopher Columbus. This episode is also dedicated to Jamie, Faith, Phoebe, Stella, and Quinn Horvat, and also Matt Horvat. My husband teasingly refers to me as his woke wife. If seen positively, the term can conjure up images of social justice advocates and very supportive cheerleaders for disenfranchised children and families. That's a good thing. If seen negatively, it might stir up the idea of cancel culture, overtly politically correct terms, and of refusing to gender anything at all, bathrooms, toys, clothing, or people. As usual, I tend to fall smack dab in the middle. I would define myself as woke insofar as when I learn better, I try to do better. Um, I tend to have an easier time letting go of beliefs I had if I learn that they're wrong than other people do. When I learn that a word has a deeply negative connotation for a certain portion of the population, I try to avoid that word. When I learn that the history I've been taught since childhood isn't all completely true, I search for the truth. And that includes truth about the church, which can be upsetting for many, including myself. In the last episode, I shared about how I feel that the church has completely missed the mark on grace, inclusivity, which I know is a major buzzword right now, and compassion. Now, I feel like I need to qualify this with some historical data because I don't feel that it's fair for me to throw around that kind of accusation and uh, my opinions with nothing behind them. So I am going to go straight for the jugular and discuss the founding fathers of the United States of America. Go big or go home, right? Okay. So the foundation and framework are what I've been laying down for all of season four. We are talking about the example that Jesus himself set regarding the behavior his followers should display in treating others, treating themselves, and treating God. Now, hopefully, if you're listening to this right now, you have evolved past the point of believing that if something is in the Bible, it means God condones it. Okay? That is an incredibly immature way of thinking, and it's very narrow-minded. Rape, slavery, abuse, murder, adultery, all kinds of other really awful things are recorded in the scriptures, but that does not mean that they're given God's stamp of approval. I understand this might seem obvious, but I've heard more than one person argue that if we're following God's biblical commands for marriage, then we are supposed to allow plural marriage as well as forcing sexual assault victims to marry their attackers. I discussed this in previous episodes, so I won't do it now. Suffice it to say that God did set boundaries around certain behaviors of which he did not approve, mainly because he knew people had free will and were going to stubbornly go their own way anyway. He did set up rules regarding the treatment of slaves, foreigners, concubines, and sexual assault victims because he knew they were going to exist in Israelite society, not because he endorsed them, but because people do what they want to do. And the one thing I keep telling my own kids about God is that he's given us free will. Our choices are always our own. He will never force us to do anything, which is why a lot of us have really messed up lives. But we are going to talk about slavery real quick. I said, go big or go home, right? Here we go. When Americans today think of slavery, we tend to think of black men and women often abducted from their homes and families in Africa or the Caribbean, working on plantations in the South, picking tobacco, cotton, and other cash crops. That's usually what we see. It is generally accepted that these enslaved people were unpaid, overworked, and often frequently abused at times to the point of death. 
Okay. This kind of slavery that we typically imagine was not contract-based. It was not mutually agreed upon, and it was not transactional. That is not what the Bible refers to most often when it discusses slavery. It's really important to understand the difference. The slavery of the ancient Hebrews was actually a lot more like indentured service. A man, for example, unable to pay his debt might choose to enter into a relationship of servitude for a set number of years in order to pay what he owes. Now, we also know that a lot of the Irish immigrants to America engaged in indentured servitude. Um, it wasn't always great for them, and it did lead to some abuse. But as it is recorded in the Bible, it is not to be a relationship of abuse. It is to be mutually respectful. Please understand that there were regulations in place biblically to ensure that the person in service was not abused or taken advantage of, punished unfairly, or treated with unnecessary violence. There were protections for these indentured, quote-unquote, slaves. You realize this was not the case for the enslaved people of early America. While Jesus never flat out condemns slavery, he also absolutely does not condone it. In fact, most of his remarks and those in the New Testament concerning servitude and slavery are actually metaphorical rather than physical. Uh, in John 8, 34, Jesus announces, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. So in this context, any human being, regardless of race, ethnicity, age, gender, class, or ability, is capable of being enslaved by choice. That choice is choosing to sin. Okay, here we go. We hear a lot about the founding fathers. And yes, for reference, I am talking the big guys, Washington, Jefferson, Franklin, Adams, and yes, Alexander Hamilton and all of their associates. We hear a lot about them being great men by the standards of their day. And if we're examining it by that way alone, I agree. But, giant but, God doesn't tell us to measure ourselves or anyone else by the accepted standards of the day. Cheating on your wife with another woman, regardless of the other woman's status in your home, isn't acceptable. Jefferson, Looking at you, dude. Accusing innocent people of witchcraft using spectral evidence in court and forcing confessions from said people with horrific torture, also not acceptable. Defining human beings as less than a whole person if their skin color and continent of origin differs from yours isn't acceptable. Refusing to allow women or minorities a voice in their community isn't acceptable intentionally trying to infect a people group with a potentially deadly epidemic isn't acceptable. While we only have one documented case of this attempted genocide in the historical record, it actually happened right here in my hometown of Pittsburgh, PA. I'm actually going to share the text of one of my other podcasts here, so I, I guess I'm plagiarizing myself. Uh, I give myself permission to do this. I guess that's how it's done. I don't know. Anyway, uh, it, these Notes are compiled from information I got at history.com, and this is from the second episode of the 79 South podcast. Quote, William Trent, sending smallpox-infested linens to a group of Delawares with the explicit intent to cause them harm, has been verified in the historical record. Yes, there are documents that support this, and not just from Trent himself. Now, did it work? We do know that the indigenous people in the areas around Fort Pitt were hit hard by disease that fall. But was it directly related to these infected blankets? Correlation is not causality. However, regardless of the efficacy of his attempt, I would say that Trent's intent was pretty horrific, even by the day's standards, as smallpox was a potentially wasting illness that was at the time still 
sometimes fatal. He was not the only one to think this was a good idea. Amherst, Bouquet, and Ecuyer, all officers in the British Army, supported this effort. End quote. Many of the founding fathers were also members of the Freemason secret society, which to many is considered humanist, but not explicitly Christian making it shaky ground leading towards unacceptable because we know that repeatedly in the bible god desires to make secrets known to his followers he is not a shadow dwelling figure mired in occult rites and secret handshakes the following is a quote from history.com again in an article titled seven things you may not know about freemasons quote while freemasonry is not itself a religion all its members believe in a supreme being or grand architect of the universe Members come from many faiths, but one denomination in particular bars any crossover. The Catholic Church first condemned Freemasonry in 1738, prompted by concern over Masonic temples and the secret rituals performed within them. In the 19th century, the Vatican even called the Masons, quote, the synagogue of Satan, end quote. The church went even further in 1983, declaring, quote, their principles have always been considered irreconcilable with the doctrine of the church therefore membership in them remains forbidden the faithful who enroll in masonic associations are in a grave state of sin and may not receive holy communion end quote and end quote attacking occupants of a community in order to take their land isn't acceptable now before you bust out your old testament theology yes i know that there were many instances in which god commanded the israelites to do just that again it makes it a biblical fact but it doesn't make it standard practice and it doesn't work with the New Testament given through us through Jesus Christ. Remember, in the Old Testament, as is now, the wages of sin is death. Matthew 6, 23. Christ had not yet come to make atonement for sin, so anyone working against God was sinning. There were times in communities in which those sins became habitual and a way of life and therefore deserved punishment. God chose the punishment and sometimes it included sacking of villages, raising of land. Sometimes it included taking prisoners. I can't sugarcoat it. There is a lot of blood spilled in the Old Testament so much that sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between heroes and villains. I understand that. But as I keep saying on this podcast, we have to look at the Bible as one cohesive unit. As we are, as the founding fathers were, living in an age after which Christ has paid all the sacrifice for all manner of sin, we are allowed to treat people the way that many of the indigenous people of the Americas were treated. We don't get to conquer with swords and spears or guns and cannons when it comes to other people groups. Jesus commanded his followers to go and make disciples, not to conquer them. Okay, this is a bit of a tangent, I know, but it's still important because we need to look at what was acceptable during George Washington's day and understand that it was never condoned biblically. Conquering and enslaving the indigenous people would not have been cool with Jesus. In fact, let's look at this story. When one of his followers, loudmouth Peter, went to attack the servant of a high priest who was trying to arrest Jesus. Listen, Peter wasn't even attacking the high priest, but his servant, Jesus condemned his actions and healed the servant immediately. You remember that story from Luke 22? If Jesus cared about an injured slave who was serving the people who tried to kill him, cared enough to heal him, it doesn't make any sense for Christians to destroy or enslave entire people groups who don't share their faith. Peter wasn't allowed to injure a servant in the name of Jesus. So where is the justification for the church to condone the destruction of entire cultures? Nowhere after the resurrection of Christ are Christians called to belittle, shame, abuse, assault, or any other 
negative treatment to those who don't share their beliefs. In fact, the most critical eye Christians are supposed to have is towards themselves and their fellow believers. Please see Luke 6.4.2 and Matthew 7.4 and basically the entire book of James for proof. The problem with imperialism and colonization was and is the mindset of those doing the colonization. Even before interacting with the indigenous people, their opinion of them was one of disdain, disgust, and even pity, primarily due to the fact that they were seen as heathen savages who didn't deserve the land they were living on. Therefore, they needed to be subdued and either rescued or punished. Now, I am sure that there were genuine conversions among the native peoples when they were introduced to Christianity. And I am also sure that there were people doing the introducing that did love Jesus and truly cared about the souls of the people they were talking to. After all, opening eyes is the job of the Holy Spirit, and there were people who may have been receptive to a completely new idea about religion, and that's fine. But historical document after historical document tells us little about the colonists' concern for the heathen souls so much as it does about their attitude towards them and their concern for the land and the wealth these heathens possessed. So between the abuse of the indigenous peoples and the slave trade from Africa, early settlers to America did a lot of very unchristlike things. I can't stress this enough. Just because slavery, attempted genocide, and forced religious conversion were accepted in the Americas never justifies it. And therefore, it's hard to say. It's very hard to say this, but I cannot consider any of America's founding fathers heroes. I'm not saying that we can't hold admiration for early American leaders. As people, yeah, they were brave. They did something mind-blowing, unheard of. They overthrew the most powerful nation in the world at the time. They managed to start a government out of nothing. <laughs> but we cannot put them on pedestals as model Christians just because they made pretty speeches that included the name of Jesus. Truly, I don't doubt that they saw themselves as good Christians and that they were seen that way by their contemporaries. There really are beautiful messages shared by our founding fathers about liberty and about Christ and about God and the church, but none of that filters down to blacks, to enslaved people, to indigenous people, or to women. It's almost like saying that Jesus Christ only died for white middle class men. When we look at the historical context, knowing what we know scripturally, slavery should never have been on the table. Using slaves or enslaved people as sex objects should never have been on the table. The idea that one person can own another person should never have been on the table. I understand that it is not a popular opinion, but if I really am cutting through years of tradition and patriotism and whitewashed history all the way to the bone and the very marrow of it, I cannot consider Washington, Jefferson, Franklin, especially Franklin, or any of the bunch to be Christian heroes. I want you to know that as fired up as I can get sometimes, that is still not an easy thing for me to say. It rips out from under me, and you probably, years and even decades of a comforting, familiar, easy picture of the early Americas, of the people and their bravery. It cheapens my enjoyment of learning social studies and history as a kid. Along with language and art, those were the areas in which I excelled. I enjoyed them. 
And it's both painful and terrifying to know that much of what I taught was just a fragment of the truth. History is written by the victors. We know that. No volume of history could ever tell the entire truth about a war, a life, an affair, an invention. But we do need to get closer to a balance. The voices of the enslaved and the indigenous are so deathly quiet during the early years of America that we have to actively listen for them. We need to listen hard. We need to strain over the flapping of the American flag, the cracking open of beer cans, the cheers at the football field, the sizzling ribs on the grill. We need to listen. This was among the hardest episodes for me to write and record. Um, first of all, because I know it is a very unpopular opinion among many Christians and definitely among Christian nationalists. Um, but my my job is not to satisfy Christian nationalists. My job is to be like Jesus and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and to base my own actions and my views of others' actions on the actions of Christ. Please believe me when I say that I have done a lot of self-examination and self-reflection during the time of writing this podcast and thinking about writing this podcast and recording it. And I've learned a lot about myself. And one of the things that I have learned is that without fail, people will fail you. People will disappoint you. History will prove to be partially true or even untrue. And you can't base your identity on that. For me, the only identity I have that is truly unfailing is the identity I have in Christ. Before I'm anything else, before I'm even a woman, before I'm a mother, before I'm a wife, before I am a writer, before I'm anything, I am saved. I am chosen. I am loved by God. And everything else has to fall by the wayside if it doesn't line up with that. So when I did this research, it was hard. I don't want to be the person, you know, slandering George Washington. But it's only slander and libel if it's not true. So I encourage you to do your own research, to use more than one source, to use sources as unbiased as possible. I know that's very hard. And to take into consideration, again, that history has always been written by the victors. And the victors are most often white Christian men. If you are not a white Christian man, then history doesn't appear to have been written with you in mind. And the funny thing is, the percentage of white Christian men in the world compared to brown people, black people, women, it's relatively small. They're actually a minority in the world. How did it get to this point? I don't want to end this episode like on a downer note. And that's why I'm encouraging you to do your own research. You might find something I didn't find. You might find something where I'm wrong or something that conflicts with what I've said. In that case, let's have a conversation. I said it earlier. I do like to know if I'm wrong about something. I want to learn more about it. But I'm pretty confident that I'm right about the way the founding fathers saw their own Christianity. That Christianity did not include black people or brown people or poor people or women.
If you're a Christian, what does your Christianity include? And if you're not, what do you think it should include? Whew. That was pretty heavy. I need to go watch some cartoons now. In the meantime, <laughs> you can reach me at retrofittedpodcast at gmail.com or download and listen to all three seasons of Retrofitted on Anchor.fm, Audible, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. This podcast was never meant to be one-sided, and I think after today it won't be again. So you are invited to share your thoughts about this or any episode on my Facebook or Instagram pages. Just search at Retrofitted Podcast. So until we chat again, be wise and be well. And also be looking for a new look that I am rolling out for Retrofitted. song is Late Night by Ryan Anderson.